Everyone. Welcome to the January 19th, 2018, 2018 edition <laughs> of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the second annual Women's March on Colorado taking place this Saturday in Denver Civic Center Park. The march comes on the heels of the Me Too movement that is sweeping through politics, Hollywood, and the media across the country. Patty Calhoun from Westward. So, when the, this, the march first happened last year, there was a lot of energy really in response to the inaugural, inauguration of Donald Trump. What do you expect from the march and the movement this year? I don't expect it to be as large as last year, but everyone was blown away by how large that march was. But I expect it to be every bit as impassioned, and a lot of that is going to be fueled by the Me Too movement, which hasn't just hit those areas. Think about business. You've got all the people who are complaining now about things that have gone on in business, media, the LA Times. I mean, it's incredible how far it's sweeping, and I think we'll see a lot tomorrow. I think you're right. Uh, especially, I think the, the weather doesn't really change until later in Saturday, so it should be a nice day. Uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Do you think that this, uh, the march and the movement behind it will have an impact on politics beyond tomorrow? Um, they're limited by their uh, national leadership, which is a bunch of anti-Semitic uh, really bigoted radicals. Uh, but the people, like Patty's talking about, turning out on the streets of Denver are, are very different from that. So on, on the latter, perhaps. Uh, but it, it's amazing to think about, like just one year ago, when people were marching at the very beginning of the Trump administration saying, what, what's going to happen in this country? And now just think of one year ago, all these women around the country proudly wearing these hats and costumes celebrating their, their body parts. And now, just one year later into the Trump administration, they're being shamed and told, you can't do that anymore. That's not politically correct, no longer allowed. And Margaret Atwood, of course, has been the Canadian author, has been such an inspiration for, for so many feminists, uh, is now under attack uh, because she's out of line with the, the so-called politics of the day. I think all those people who worried about what could happen and after just one year of Trump, uh, their fears have more than come true just through those two examples. Eric Soder, uh, political analyst, what do you see as the influence of the march, at least here locally? In, in Colorado has always been, I think, proud to be a purple state. Not really about politics, but it, it, I think as a state it hates uh, being told, now I know what Colorado's going to do. As soon as you think it's going red, it'll go blue and vice versa. What will the influence be of a march like this here? Yeah, I'm not sure we're still quite as purple. I think, you know, as we've talked around this table, it's definitely taken on a blue hue. It is not what I call a navy blue or cobalt blue. I refer to it as periwinkle blue. But, One of my favorite uh, crayons. <laughs> but uh, it is increasingly taking on a blue hue. I think the impact of the march, Dominic, is really, it's back to base politics where both parties play so much to their base. And the march is an opportunity for the Democratic base, the anti-Trump base, and yes, there'll be some Republicans in the crowd, but basically this is the core, largely, uh, and the, the Democratic Party, it's run by many constituencies, but constituency number one has been for a long time women. You know, you look at Denver, it is no coincidence that 
our Congress people for the last 50 years have both been women. That's who runs the Denver Democratic Party and in significant respects the state Democratic Party. The real news is not the one-year anniversary of the march. To me, it's that the one-year anniversary of the march means it's one-year anniversary of the Trump presidency. In some respects, it feels like a lifetime. Uh, it means we still have three years to go. <laughs> Ed Sealever, reporter from Denver Business Journal, our guy on Capitol Hill. Uh, earlier this week, we saw a special election in Wisconsin for a, I think it was a state Senate seat, uh, go Democratic in, a, in a, a big Republican district. And one of the notes I had read about it was that they had lost a lot of the women vote, whether where, what they could have counted. And you can break down elections a lot of different ways. But with news like that, do our local lawmakers here perhaps put a little bit more stock into something like both the Me Too movement and this march will be happening on Saturday? Well, absolutely, especially on the Democratic side. And, and uh, I'm on all five of the news uh, release lists for the five Democratic gubernatorial candidates. They're all going to be there. They're all talking about being there earlier. It's like they're going to out women's march each other. Um, they're they're so excited about this. Um, it, it is interesting that, that uh, this does seem to be, uh, despite it being a women's march, it's a very partisan women's march at this point. You don't see any Republican uh, female uh, officials that are planning to participate in this uh, from what I've been able to read either. So yeah, I think this definitely captures everybody's attention and, and I think it is used as a base rallying movement at this point too. Uh, the, the get out there and vote. If you like what you see here today, go vote for women Democrats. Uh, go vote for Democrats, period. So I think everybody's paying attention, but this has um, certainly become a divisive issue, not a unit gender issue. Well, speaking of something that's getting a little bit more divisive, Denver made it to the list of 20 finalists for the chance to become the home of Amazon's second headquarters. Denver's submission promises to invest $5 billion to build the campus, which would house up to 50,000 employees. Uh, Patty, this is one of 20 cities. Uh, I love, loved your example you brought up many, many years ago. Denver is the Sally Field of Cities. We want people to like us, to really, really like us. But on this one, it's smelling a lot more like the 1976 Olympics than it is to be liked. What do you make of us making the top 20? Well, to carry the Sally Field analogy, we would have been upset and if we'd been snubbed and weren't picked as one of the top 20 out of the 238 that were originally submitted. We would have been upset, but now we will be upset if we get on the shorter list because people are still extremely concerned in this city. They don't want Amazon coming, it's, and they certainly don't want the city and the state to pay Amazon to come, to come when so many of us came here just out of sheer love of Colorado and stay here out of sheer love of Colorado, not because we're being paid to stay. So everything, everyone I've heard in the last 24 hours is upset. Again, they're happy that we're like because we're the Sally Field of Cities, but they don't want Amazon to come here, raise rents. It's not just 50,000 employees. It's the families that come with them. It's the traffic that comes with them. It's the rising rent that comes with them. And this announcement comes at the same time that Denver is, ex is expanding its exploratory committee on the Olympics. And the two together just are bringing back feelings of how much do we want this state to grow and how much do we want to pay to make it grow? That makes a good point. Uh, David, on the uh, David Copel CIO bingo page, corporate welfare is probably a center square. Uh, <laughs> so you've talked about it a couple times. But will something like this maybe get some more people to think about the, the as, as you put in the past, the, the controversy behind corporate welfare? Because mm -hmm. this is something that, hey, we don't want our dollars contributing to a problem, but that has contributed to other problems with other companies that people may not know about. 
What do you make of it? Well, remember that these illegal bribes that the Denver and Colorado and other governments are offering to pay Amazon are also secret illegal bribes. Their deal with Amazon is you have to keep a lot of your bids secret and you can't uh, let the public know exactly how much of your their money and in what ways is going to be used to bribe uh, one of the richest countries in the world. Our 1876 Constitution repeatedly outlaws corporate welfare. Courts over the years have come close to nullifying it and not enforcing it, and that's been very wrong. But I think if this Amazon, if Amazon selects us, uh, you may well see a number of public interest lawyers across the political spectrum come together for the lawsuit, and when it goes to the Colorado Supreme Court, perhaps the Colorado Supreme Court will say, you know, if these words, which the Constitution says over and over and over again mean anything, it means you can't give billions in secret bribes to one of the world's richest businesses. Eric, uh, it feels that we're, this is becoming one of these uh, touchstone issues where in a regular economy, uh, I think Denver would be, oh, this is great. We can get another big business here, and it kind of goes on the way. But right now, with people sitting in traffic, congestion, high rents, high home prices, it's becoming a bigger deal. Uh, do you sense that uh, even growing now that we've made the top 20? Well, I think it is definitely, it is a trigger point, and with the, this week's news, the, that trigger just got a little hotter. Being in the top 20, I'm not sure there's any great shakes. I mean, you know, hooray Denver, we're in the league with Columbus, Ohio. But, uh, and Patty is right, there would have been sort of a letdown to not be in the top 20. But I think she's also right, there will now be, I don't know what the next pairing of the group is to, it's like the Miss Universe pageant, you know, speaking of Donald Trump, and, you know, <laughs> you, you, you start with 100 and then you narrow it down to the top 10, so I don't know what the next pairing is, but um, I'm not sure a whole lot of people around Denver want this to go a heck of a lot farther. David talked about the, sort of the legality of corporate welfare, and I'll, you know, let him as the attorney here uh, weigh, weigh in on that. I just think it is flat wrong. I mean, Jeff Bezos has now eclipsed Bill Gates as the wealthiest person in the world. His wealth is at over a hundred billion dollars. Uh, you think one billion is what? It's a thousand million dollars. It's a millionaire a thousand times over. So Bezos is a millionaire, help me with the math, a hundred thousand times over. Uh, he can afford to build a campus, whether it's here or anywhere. I thought it was telling that three of the 20 sites are really in the Washington, D.C. area. Washington, Northern, Virgin Northern Virginia, and Montgomery County, Maryland. There might be a tell there, and if you were playing poker, uh, that, that, that three out of the 20 are right there. I personally am attracted to the notion that was advanced months ago that this is not just a corporate decision for Amazon. It's almost a national decision, and symbolically, they ought to be going to some Rust Belt city, and I don't know if that's Cleveland, Ohio, or I, I don't even know all of them that are still on the list, but go to some Rust Belt city and use it as a spark to reinvigorate an economy as opposed to an economy, whether it's Washington or Denver or Dallas or Austin, that is doing just fine. Thank you. <coughs>
Ed, we've been talking about the, uh, I don't know, make sure it's a backlash, but people taking the opposite side of, boy, it'd be great to have a new headquarters. Uh, you, you have some news about that that was seen it actually influence into the election. Yeah, actually, just earlier today, uh, Victor Mitchell, a uh, Republican candidate for governor, who a month ago had told me for his story, I, I'm not going to back a single cent for uh, Amazon, has launched a new social media-specific um, advertising campaign that's all about, if I'm elected governor, I won't give away a dollar to Amazon. I, I think you're going to see this. And there were other Republican candidates who, uh, who said the same thing, most notably uh, Tom Tancredo. Um, but this is an issue that so far has split politicians. Most of the Democratic governor, gubernatorial candidates told me, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with us giving the standard incentives that we give to any company to Amazon, and maybe we'll ask them for a little help in, in, in internships or something. Uh, some Republicans hate this idea. Some, like Walker Stapleton, are saying, look, this is actually high-paying jobs, well-educated citizens. This is a good thing we want in our area. Um, I, I think you're going to see more and more pushback back. But the other thing I think you're going to see is a bleed off from this that says, okay, if there's a chance, and now technically there's a 5% chance uh, that, that we'll get Amazon, though I'm with Eric, I think they're going to DC, um, uh, then we better work on the things that are going to become problem spots. Let's put money to our roads now. Let's work on affordable housing now. I mean, technically, this has a chance to cross party lines and actually become a bipartisan effort to, hey, let's put money into our infrastructure to get things ready for this big employer. Um, do I think everything will be that simple? No. But, uh, but, but it's at least grabbing people's attention and maybe it will make them focus on uh, issues associated with growth more. Well, we're one week into the Colorado legislative session this year, and bills addressing affordable housing, child care costs, and health care and energy are already circulating. Meanwhile, Democratic State Representative Steve Lebsock remains under fire as a former legislative aide filed an official complaint against a lawmaker on Tuesday. This is the third official complaint filed against Lebsock, who is also running for Colorado State Treasurer. And as a quick programming note, after this episode of Colorado Inside Out, please tune in to Devil's Advocate with John Caldera while he will be interviewing none other than Representative Steve Lebsock. So if you want to hear both sides, or at least a, his side of the story, you'll be able to hear that later tonight right here on Colorado Public Television. David, the floor is yours. The legislature in the first week, what do you take away from it? Well, here's the worst bill that's been introduced so far. In Colorado, we have a principle called sunset, which is bureaucracies are not guaranteed eternal life. Every bureaucracy within the state government is supposed to go through a sunset process. So it's authorized for, say, a 10-year period, and then at the end of the 10 years, the legislature can can end it, or they can renew it with no changes, or they can renew it with reforms and improvements based on experience. The lottery division, which is part of the Department of Revenue, has a bill for itself to exempt itself from that. So instead of being up for renewal in 2024, it just gets to go on forever. And you can see the PR campaign that's come out about this. There was just some study about how wonderful Great Outdoors Colorado is for the economy, which is, and that, that's the amendment that says our lottery money goes to outdoor stuff, which, which is great. And they're saying, oh, if you don't give us this automatic renewal, the lottery might get abolished. No, that's not going to happen. But they want to get their bureaucracy away from the normal oversight that applies to all the Colorado bureaucracy. There should be no special deal for the lottery division, which has had a number of financial problems and should be continue to be under close legislative supervision. 
Eric, I'll let you take your pick on whether it's a bill from this first week you want to talk about or uh, LEPSOC, but I'll ask this question about that. Is it becoming a big enough issue where Speaker Durant has to do more about resolving it? Because I know she's addressed it as much as she can, but does she need to find resolution before uh, a couple months go down the road? Well, for our sake, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> your question, I forget exactly your wording, but uh, I think on a weekly basis for the next several months, you can just yeah. uh, auto-program the script uh, <laughs> to, to put Steve Lepsock in it. Uh, yes, I think the Democrats in the House, Speaker Duran, Casey Becker, the Majority Leader, others would love to bring some resolution to it, but I'm not sure what that resolution is. I, there's a process. I assume it will go through that process. Lepsock is denying all charges and denying all charges preemptively even uh, and uh, you know he's a he's sort of an island to himself around the Capitol right now he's not caucusing with the Democrats he's been removed from his one committee chairmanship I believe Ed said before the show that he was removed entirely from one of his two committees uh, so he's he's really an island uh, more Republicans I believe are reaching out to him uh, hoping for a vote, given that they're the minority in the House, for a vote now and then from him, uh, then the Democrats want anything to do with the guy. So, yes, it needs a resolution. Um, you know, he's entitled to his defense, but when there's that much smoke and that many allegations, I thought it was a telling picture from opening day of the session where you had Representative Faith Winter and I don't remember the names, Holly Terry and um, I believe Cassie Tanner is the third name of, of, the, of the aides and lobbyists who, uh, in addition to Representative Winter, have filed complaints. They were all sitting together on opening day. It was a very strong statement. Ed, I've said it many times, you're a guy on the Hill. What, what is the, the feeling there and how is it going to impact the business of the session? Uh, how it impacts the business of the session is it, it distracts from it in some ways. I mean, you have a lot of people talking about this. And not only that, a lot of people are, are kind of whispering behind the scenes, if if something doesn't happen to Lebsock after this, uh, then a lot of people are going to swallow other accusations that are out there. But if he is expelled, seriously censured, removed from all his committees, you might actually see a flood of other accusations come out for people feeling like, oh, I can, I can risk my career because there is a chance to, to get some justice from this. Now, if that happens, we might be able to just pack all the issues and just throw them aside because that might take up the entire room this year. Um, and hopefully it doesn't um, take up the entire room, uh, and that's because there's things that are actually going on. For example, um, just yesterday we saw the a Senate committee uh, with bipartisan approval uh, pass a bill to revamp the Colorado Energy Office. This was one of those bills that got killed in the end of last session uh, in a partisan stalemate. There were some changes made to it this year, but the, the theme of the bill is still we're going to an all-of-the-above energy office, not just a renewable-focused energy office. And, and Senator Ray Scott, a Republican, managed to get that through a committee with three Democrats supporting it as well after making a couple of changes to it. So there is some work going on. The big uh, bill of the session, I, I would argue, Senate Bill 1, this is the bill to, uh, uh, to put $300 million a year toward transportation funding and then ask the voters to approve $3.5 billion in bonds. That's coming up Tuesday for a hearing. Uh, so I think we're going to get a real indication of how much people are willing to compromise, work together, uh, deal with the big issues then. But uh, so far, there's some hope there could be talk this year. Patty, I don't know her official role when it comes to the process, uh, but does Speaker Duran, whether she has an official role or not, have to uh, has to make sure that process is happening rather quickly. We have three formal complaints and a lawmaker who's not backing down and a session that's only five months long. 
Yeah, it has to work pretty quickly. And now we've got the independence study and the Colorado Democrats are coming up with a plan to make sure there's not sex harassment on the campaign trail. Really, it's common sense. They could move a little faster on this. We all know what you are supposed to do and not supposed to do. And I want to know if Lepsack asked John Caldera to go home with him as he allegedly asked Representative Faith Winter. So please fill us in on that when you get a chance. It's ironic Tune that... In. Yeah, Tune in. Okay. Tune in. Just away. keep That's watching. The, the okay. <laughs> It'll really help a viewership. Um, before and after, I'm guessing. It's interesting with Lepsack. No one... He's sponsoring a couple bills... Important ones, one is the ta marijuana pot tax gaffe from last year that they couldn't fix during the special session. He can't get anyone to co-sponsor anything, including that measure. Fortunately, there's another fix out there for that bill because we want to get that one done quickly. And they did already, Governor Hickenloop has already signed the first bill into law, which is kind of that nurse compact with other states. They managed to hit the January 19th deadline, unlike the federal government. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Announced this week, Aurora's VA Hospital is expected to be to open in August of this year. The facility is reportedly lacking some key elements, including a PTSD center, and the old facility will reportedly need to stay open temporarily as well. Congressman Mike Kaufman condemned the Department of Veteran Affairs, saying Congress was never notified that the old VA facility would have to remain open until recently, citing its lack of transparency despite several hearings. Eric, it's a quick take, but has Kaufman done enough to not... Uh, to, to criticize this in an election year? Oh, Kaufman has been on record. I, I mean, I don't know if any congressman can totally wash their hands of it, but Kaufman has given it every effort uh, that it's humanly possible. My own proposal would be to make August 11th, which I guess is now opening day, uh, make it almost a national day of mourning for the <laughs> better part of $2 billion that just got flushed and cost overruns for a hospital that even on opening will be incomplete. How can you have a better part of $2 billion facility and not have a division or uh, a wing for PTSD, which is probably one of the top issues facing our veterans. Ed, your quick take on this, uh, you know, wait longer, pay more, and a hospital that can't do as much as the old one. Sounds great. Let's hope that when this does open, this does not get washed over. There are still some mind-boggling mistakes here. They have to replace dozens of fixtures in the psychiatric ward because they're suicide hazards. Who didn't think this one through? Uh, let's hope that once this opens, there is deeper investigation into what went wrong and how we avoid this in the future. Petty, uh, I'll ask the same question I ask uh, Eric. Has Kaufman done enough, uh, despite this, this is in his district, it's a big, fat, hairy deal, and even though he has been a critic, it's part of the government. It, will it stick to him? I don't think it'll stick to him. He has. He is a veteran. He has been very vocal in his complaints about this. What is astonishing, though, is that we are still finding out things now, like that there is no PTSD clinic, which is appalling, that the old hospital was to have to stay open, so we're going to have those costs, too. How we don't know this, why they didn't have any kind of independent investigation to really get to the bottom of it, is impossible to believe. David, wrap it up for us. Until Denver has a high-quality, functioning VA hospital system, which may be years and years from now, Vet, veterans in the Denver metro area ought to be given vouchers so that if they can't get the treatment at this inept VA hospital, they can go somewhere else for treatment. Here, here. Let's go to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. The disgrace this week is this month, the Denver Post will be leaving its big building downtown. 
not the not the ownership group. They'll be there, but they will be leaving and leaving Denver altogether to go to the printing plant in Adams County, which will be the new headquarters for the Denver Post. A few reporters, the editorial board, will be able to stay downtown in a different spot, but. It's just a sad commentary when you remember that huge building being built for the Denver Newspaper Agency not that long ago. And it sounds like a pretty good uh, post-game topic talking about Denver Post going to a paywall this week. That's big news. David, your disgrace of the week. We wouldn't be having this government shutdown stuff if Congress did its job, which is to pass appropriations bills on a regular basis. The House of Representatives has done its job and passed appropriations bills for long-term funding for most of the federal government. But in the Senate, the Democrats filibuster appropriations bills. That's an irresponsible thing to do. When there's a bill to fund the Department of Justice or the uh, Department of Defense or whatever, bring it up for a vote and then have that funding be on a regular thing instead of this continuing uh, dysfunctional thing of, of uh, continuing resolutions. Wait, wait, you're saying the minority party in the Senate is actually being a roadblock to the majority party? And if, if filibustering, preventing, preventing the bills from even coming up for a debate. <laughs> Eric, you have to be careful with this one, but the whole controversy this week around Aziz Ansari, the comedian, the Me Too movement, which has contributed much to this country and, br and brought to light incredible abuses and sensitized a whole lot of people, but it risked jumping the shark uh, when you take what was apparently a dating relationship that somehow went south and try to smear a comedian uh, based on that. There needs to be some degree of gradation where not every allegation is put in the same pot. We have to get more sophisticated of what is Harvey Weinstein versus what is something far, far lesser and not, uh, you know, not really terminally harm people's reputation for the lesser stuff. Ed. You don't have to be careful with this. David and Louise Turpin are a California couple accused of chaining their 13 children to the beds, sometimes for months on end. The biggest shame here is that our Constitution won't allow us to apply Hammurabi's code in this case. The kid. We've got a minute and a half left. Time to say something nice quickly. I have to say something nice for all the people who said incredibly nice things about my father, including you, Dominic. Oh, very well deserved. It's just proud to know the man. David. Bill Browder is the grandson of Earl Browder, who was the head of the Communist Party in the USA. Bill Browder, the businessman, has been leading globally the fight for Magnitsky acts to impose sanctions on uh, the murderous officials of the Putin regime. Eric. I wasn't here last week, so also uh, about Roland Calhoun, Patty's father, a wonderful man, and uh, Patty is living testimony to him as a father. Uh, real quickly, I touched on the Me Too movement. Whatever you say about Donald Trump's first year, without Donald Trump as president of the United States, we do not have Me Too. We do not have this whole uh, cultural enlightenment uh, that is coming with it. Ed. Dustin Hall spent four years lurking behind the scenes in breweries and photographing them, putting them together in a wonderful photo book, Discovering Colorado's Breweries, that comes out on Saturday. I'd highly encourage people to check it out, see a different side of the scene. Here. That's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. As always, log on to Facebook or Twitter for CIO segments both past and present. You can also find our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And we have some fantastic programming all week this week. Victoria is back for a second season. That's starting Monday night. And we're right in the middle of the epic Vietnam War series. If you didn't see it the first time, it's on every Wednesday and Sunday night right here on CPT12. Be sure to check it out. For everyone here at C Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.